Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast. I'm John Anthony Dunn, and today we're going to talk about peacemaking, which is a very relevant topic here in 2020. And joining me to discuss this, we have Amber Bowen, who is a PhD candidate in philosophy at the University of Aberdeen. How's it going, Amber? Hey, John, it's going well. And we have Daniel Parham, who is Assistant Director of Student Retention and Success at Biola University and also an elder at Gospel Memorial Church of God in Christ. How's it going, Daniel? Going well. And we have a special guest today. We have Dr. Tony Morita, who is pastor for preaching at Imago Dei Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and dean of Grimke Seminary. How's it going, Tony? I'm doing well. It's great to be with you guys. Now, Tony, you recently wrote a book called Christ-Centered Conflict Resolution with Broadman and Holdman earlier this year. Would you tell us just a little bit about that book and what sort of uh, spurred on your interest in doing that? Well, actually, uh, John, I didn't really have an interest. I was asked to write it. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> uh, it was during the uh, COVID season when, co- when the uh, stay-at-home restrictions came. I was working on another little book on the church and B&H, um, who've been friends for a long time now, said, hey, we, would, we, we recognize that this time is creating a lot more conflicts as people live in close proximity. They're with each other more often. They're not being able to experience their regular social life. And there's just a lot of conflicts in the home in particular. Uh, we'd love for a pastor to write a book similar to uh, Sandy's book, uh, the, the, the Peacemaker, but something smaller. And uh, we need somebody that can turn it around quickly. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I was able to do it in a little under a month and it went to wow. press and we, we published it. And so it's a small little 20,000 word book. I tried to just gather up all of the, or, or some of the relevant passages uh, in scripture, particularly in the new Testament that speak about forgiveness, reconciliation, peacemaking. Um, as one, as my uh, fellow pastor here, Kent says, he, he's pastor for counseling that when you're in a conflict, you don't want a big book. Um, you need something that you can read quickly and uh, that will minister to your heart. Hmm. So uh, it's a very heart oriented uh, book. It's not uh, a step based book. It's more about kind of the essence of peacemaking and hmm. the need for humility and uh, wisdom. And so, um, yeah, I, I was glad they asked me to write I wasn't intending to write it. I was personally blessed by it. When they asked me to write it, uh, I had nine people under our roof uh, at the time and two dogs. And so I was <laughs> like, I need a book on peacemaking. What do you mean? write one? Uh, so, but it was really good for me. Um, really good for my own soul. And uh, I learned a lot along the way. And uh, hopefully it'll be a, a book that will be useful, uh, you know, for, for, families, for uh, believers, for uh, pastors to give away to people that they're counseling and and dealing with or uh, have conflicts. Mm. Uh, So that's how it all came about. And obviously the contents of the book go well beyond the COVID situation. I mean, turning into 2020, we all knew it was going to be a crazy year with November on the horizon. We didn't anticipate the COVID situation. And of course, in between COVID and November, we've had a whole racial reckoning. And could you maybe speak to how the book has been useful in other contexts, like especially in in the more immediate racial revolution that we've been experiencing? Yeah. so we knew that the book would have shelf life just because the, the topic itself is, it's, it's ageless, right? We've been, we've had conflict since the fall. Yeah. Um, um, but, and we, and the book is not heavily 
COVID uh, specific. Like there are some illustrations and whatnot. So it it was it was the idea was born out of the the COVID season, but we knew that the book could have a longer life than that. And then when as soon as the book was uh, put into print, we had a lot of the uh, the uprisings and, and all of the, uh, racial tensions that we're all dealing with. And all of a sudden people thought the book was more about that. Um, and it is because again, we're talking about in, in a lot of those cases, uh, conflict resolution, there, there's more than conflict resolution in those issues. But, um, I think a lot of people grabbed onto it and, um, because they're dealing with people in their churches now that are frustrated and, um, pastors are, under a lot of pressure uh, from uh, the, the political, um, you know, polarization in our culture and uh, inability to have civil discourse. And um, so I, I think it has a double relevance now with, with, with this issue. Tony, one of my favorite quotes in the entire book is in the beginning, you write about your reasons for why you're writing this book. And you have a lot of really great reasons, but one of them that I love is that our faith is not a doctrine-only faith, but it's a doctrine-embodied faith that is lived out in healthy relationships. And I, I'm wondering if you can just elaborate a bit on on what that means. Yeah, well, I, you know, the the very nature of our God being a triune um, and us being made in His image—that's uh, really foundational uh, to our theology that we are made uh, in the image and likeness of God and. Uh, we're therefore relational beings, um, and then I think when you when you trace the biblical narrative, what you see uh, immediately after the fall is a promise that there's going to be conflict and strife in relationships. That's then illustrated in Cain and Abel in the very next chapter in the Bible, and then we have a whole uh, drama of redemption of uh, one that is has been promised in Genesis three that is going to crush the head of the serpent. And our, our salvation is, is not merely the reconciliation between us and God, though it is, but it's also the relationship that Christ gives to other believers. Uh, as Paul says, for example, in Ephesians 2, how Jesus breaks down the walls and uh, reconciles uh, Jew and Gentile together. Um, and then we have so many exhortations and instructions uh, throughout Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, about how we live in community together. Um, that's, that's a major issue. And so I think, um, those who spend uh, hours upon hours merely thinking about dogma, uh, without thinking about, uh, cultivating healthy relationships, I think, uh, there's something, there's a big gap in, uh, our way of thinking about the Christian faith. Um, I told our church recently that if, if the apostle John were here today, he, he might very well preach on something as simple as love one another. Uh, as he just continues to to beat that drum in his epistle, <clears throat> and I, I, this is not the case for everyone, of course, but um, th- there's a lot of tribalism and a lot of division and a lot of doctrinal argumentation today, and and we need to think through these things and and debate and discuss. Um, but I would love to see a sort of a revival of reconciling relationships and learning how to forgive and love. And I think that is one of the things that makes Christianity so compelling uh, is when virtues like love and peacemaking and forgiveness are put on display in a culture where those things are not seen. Uh, It really brings a compelling witness uh, to the gospel. Yeah, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this because 
if anyone doesn't know, Tony is actually my pastor. I'm a member at Imago Day Church in Raleigh. And um, conversations about, in, in our current context, how a lot of Christians are really obsessed about getting on the right side of all the issues. And that's what we think our main energy should be directed towards is figuring out what is going on and what is a Christian supposed to think about all these different things. Um, but Tony's been talking and thinking a lot about how actually a compelling Christian witness in this present context might look more like being a peacemaker. And what that does is it actually reflects the character of Christ who we proclaim. Um, and, and it's actually being a witness by reflecting God's character. So Tony, I don't know if you can elaborate more, um, think with us more about that and, and what that means, particularly for the current moment that we find ourselves in. I think if you, you look at the Beatitudes as Jesus is describing the, the character of, of kingdom citizens, um, like this is, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called uh, sons of God. It's like, what an astonishing statement that the way we reflect our God uh, and show that we belong to him is by pursuing peace. Um, so I think uh, along, along those same lines, you have other, other texts that speak about, I don't like this phrase, we can think of a better one, but maybe virtue apologetics, where certain characteristics of Christians um, are, are compelling witnesses. So uh, two texts in, in particular, John 13, Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Um, and then in uh, 1 Peter 3, Peter says, you know, go about doing good and don't be surprised if uh, people don't like that. Um, and, but be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. And so you think about that, like radiating hope today is, it, it provokes questions. Uh, you know, uh, loving one another earnestly, deeply, um, brotherly, uh, familiarly, um, practicing peace, or we could add, uh, you know, you just go down the list of the fruit of the spirit, right? Uh, of joy, like mm -hmm. radiating a particular joy about life uh, creates a certain interest uh, and it's attractive. And so um, while I'm not uh, down on apologetics, I, I think most people in general, unbelievers, um, what strikes them at least in the beginning is how we live our lives, not by having all the arguments for uh, the existence of God and the problem of evil. And so I, and what, what that does is as a pastor, this is important because it empowers all the saints to be able to do evangelism uh, because grandma who, who may not know, you know, high theology, she radiates hope and joy and love. And that's compelling. Uh, and so I, I think um, uh, I would like to see, uh, you know, more emphasis in that area as well. Yeah, apologetics so often, at least how I was raised to understand even that very verse that you mentioned, being prepared to give a reason or a defense for the hope that you have. It's it's a it's a defense. It's assertion of a proposition that is going to give your belief warrant and justifiability and, and those sorts of things, which is really different from the kinds of reasons that you're talking about, which is a transformed life and a way of a whole new mode of being in the world mm -hmm. as a result of faith and as a result of the work of the cross. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you've encouraged me, Amber, to, uh, to keep promoting this <laughs> idea.
which is not my idea. I think it's just straight in the New Testament. <laughs> Uh, I think I think you should write another book on it personally. <laughs> I'm tired of writing books, Amber. Don't tell me to write another book. <laughs> I'm I'm the one encouraging Tony to to put out more more and more books. <laughs> so Tony, um, as you know, as I've been thinking about the kind of the climate uh, in which we've we've been in, um, and uh, the political climate as as well as I think just the subcultural climates that are like infused in that, um, a, a lot of times you hear. Uh, the the debate of like you are disrupting peace or you're creating division um, by bringing up certain things that um, that individual might say is at the heart of the gospel and so even there's conflict between uh, two individuals of what is at the heart of the gospel um, and so uh, there's this language of uh, let's let's be peaceful um, which sometimes seems to equate to let's be quiet. So what, what do you do in those moments when the, actually the, the tension comes from the, the, the need for someone um, to want an individual to be silent versus the need to actually talk through um, why these individuals believe either position is at the heart of the gospel? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Daniel. Um, I think uh, kind of the classical line in conflict resolution is that we want to avoid the extremes of uh, um, attack or uh, avoidance, you know, so we're not, we're not fleeing from issues that need to be addressed, but we're also not, we're not fighting uh, aggressively, but, but we are doing something in the middle of working it out. And um, so conflict resolution isn't about um, being passive when there's injustice. Um, it's actually addressing it, um, but it's how we address it that is, is often uh, the case or the issue, right? Um, so I'm thinking about uh, the tone in which we address people. I'm thinking about sometimes uh, needing mediation, needing other people to get involved. Um, but we're, we're not to sweep sin under the rug. We're not to sweep injustice under the rug. Um, that would not be faithful Christianity but we are to uh, address these issues and that will require us to have some awkward conversations um, and uh, some difficult conversations. But what I've found in, in addressing particular issues that are hard, uh, even when, you know, if I were to say something and, and I have recently about racial injustice uh, at our church and not everybody appreciates it and they come and have talks with me, I'm glad they're talking to me. Uh, and I want to to be able to talk through this uh, graciously and humbly. Um, and all, you, you're right on, man. Like sometimes people just don't want you to talk about certain things. Um, but again, we, we're not we're not being faithful if we're uh, being passive. Um, the issue is uh, how are we how are we talking about it? How are we dealing with it? Um, and I, here's where I think uh, we we need to see that conflict is opportunity. Um, we, we often view conflict as something always to be avoided or either people love conflict and they're just tweeting away on social media and just, you know, being uh, a punk. Um, but what we want to see conflict as opportunity is like, I have an opportunity to grow. If I have a disagreement with this person, they have an opportunity to grow. We have an opportunity to uh, glorify God in, uh, in unity and harmony. Uh, and we get to put the gospel on display. So uh, these are not simple issues, and every 
every issue is, is a case by case issue, right? Uh, um, and that's why when you're writing a book on conflict resolution, there are always nuances, but you're, you're trying to just lay the general principles out. And then you're, you know, urging people to practice discernment and wisdom on how to, how to flesh it out. I love how you connect peacemaking with growth. Um, because I think that also speaks to, to Daniel's question in that, you know, quietism or just brushing things under the rug or being passive that doesn't actually promote the growth of anyone. Um, which is one of the ways that you can distinguish quietism and passivity from genuine peacemaking, like peacemaking should create harmony and harmony should allow for mutual flourishing and transformation and growth, you know? So I, I like that you you say that part of when we're looking at the phenomenon of peacemaking, you should always see some form of growth um, for one party or the other or, or both, most likely both. <laughs> yeah, I love the passage in James uh, 3, right at the end of James 3. He, I think he's just echoing the, the peacemaking beatitude and he elaborates on it and he gives like the traits of a peacemaker and talks about sowing, uh, sowing for peace. Uh, but those traits like being gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, uh, sincere, like when, when do you get to put those on display? Like you don't put them on display in times of passivity. You put them on display when there's times of conflict, right? Like um, you show that you're full of mercy as you're uh, dealing with people that um, are difficult or you put on display open to reason as you're, you're listening. Uh, to what they're saying, and uh, you're working things out. So um, I think we, we definitely have the wrong idea of conflict resolution if we, we think we are to avoid uh, certain certain issues. It's it's in these very things that we're confronting uh, that you know we have the opportunity to put uh, God's mercy and and God's uh, power on display for people uh, to see. Uh, Tony, like as as you were speaking, I was thinking of you know, how Jesus lived in the tension of, I think, even his own uh, mission, right? Uh, his messianic mission. And John 13 came to my mind where where he's sitting with the disciples and he says, one of you are going to betray me. I could only imagine like being in that space and being an individual saying, who's going to betray Jesus? Uh, and he literally hands a morsel to the person who's betraying him. And, and I mean, I guess one of the absent elements of that is that we don't get to see the expressed emotion around the table. Um, but it, it's, it's just this clear vision of Jesus sitting in the midst of tension. Um, but attention actually is redeeming, right? If, if Judas doesn't send him uh, to the cross in some way, um, we don't see the redemption in the way that we, we see it panned out in the gospel picture. And so I think even too, when we like think about Jesus as a, as a model of peace, Jesus is also a model of sitting in the tension and yet speaking clearly in the tension. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think too, like the cultural elements um, came to my mind. It's like, we don't get to see what cultural expression looks like. Mm -hmm. um, even as I think about some layers of cultural expression that sometimes are um, uh, mis misconstrued as anger or frustration, you know, also leads to, uh, an inability to reconcile and make peace. Um, so I think there's even layers of um, this cultural humility that comes into play while you're seeking to understand and to walk through because 
Um, when someone raises their voice, doesn't necessarily mean that they're angry. It might mean that they're passionate, um, mm. or it might might show that they're deeply, um, deeply convicted in that area. And when someone's quieter, doesn't necessarily mean um, that they uh, don't have a care for the issue that's at hand, but that's just a either a personal or a cultural expression that they have seen as the norm. Um, mm-hmm. So even that, when I think about cultural um, elements, what would you say to um, even the, the cultural perspectives um, that come into how we resolve conflict? Well, I think um, whenever there's conflict, I, I, this is not where people normally start, but we need to actually start with ourselves. So if, it, if we're talking about an issue uh, between me and another person, uh, this is Jesus talking about having a log in your eye where you notice the speck in your brother's eye. Um, often I have a conflict with someone because of me. <laughs> what I'm quick to see is the faults of, of others. Um, so whether we're talking culturally or, or under our own roof, I, I think we always want to do the work of self-examination. Um, James 4, you know, James says we have conflicts because we have cravings. Like we, when we don't get things we want, it, it tends to, to breed conflict. Beyond that, I think you kind of work down through a, a little grid of minor offenses, major offenses, uh, mediation, uh, material restor- uh, restitution. It, you know, is this culturally, you know, or in, in any relationship, are these minor things that can be quote unquote overlooked, which is, you know, complex in itself? And then is it a major, it's like, a, do we need meetings? Do we need, um, mediation. Um, h- how can we go about a process that would uh, bring, bring about peace and uh, bring, bring glory to God? Um, I think one thing that we keep in mind as Christians when we're talking about uh, justice and peace uh, is the already not yet tension in which we live. Like we know that Christ's reconciling work has reconciled us to God, but also reconciling all things to himself. And uh, the Prince of Peace will, will bring total shalom one day. So, Tony, I'm an Enneagram 7, if the Enneagram uh, means anything to you. And if Broadman and Holman had asked me to write this book, it would have been called Christ-Centered Conflict Avoidance. <laughs> and I just uh, would love to hear a bit more about how to be equipped to handle conflict well, because for me, as a seven, as somebody who, you know, uh, would rather avoid conflict. Um, I have a lot of, you know, strongly held beliefs and opinions about various things. And, um, I don't voice them very often because, uh, for me, I know that that will perpetuate conflict. Uh, and so I'd rather just not have the conflict emerge. And so it's, I often suppress that. And of course for a seven, that can be bad because then it can explode and bubble up later. So, Maybe if you just if we could personalize it a little bit, what would you say to me as somebody who would rather avoid the conflict altogether? Um, well, as as an Enneagram three, I want to avoid it because I have another project to finish. Uh, <laughs> yep, yep. I've got work to do, man. I don't have your squabbles. Um, you know, as I wrote the book, I obviously wrote it as a pastor. It's a short book. It's there are many other issues that could, you know, should be covered if you want a more exhaustive treatment of the subject. This would not be a textbook per se you would use uh, in a seminary on the subject. It could be supplemental. So having said all that, the re- part of the reason I wrote this smaller book is 
because I wanted to really focus on the heart and focus on key biblical texts and just apply them to uh, people's lives. Uh, so I'm writing not as a professional counselor, but as, as a pastor. Um, and I think most conflicts and whether we're avoiding or whether we're attacking, um, uh, they get back to the heart. Um, and so I think our, our affections for Christ, um, uh, leads us to do certain things. So uh, I think when we are captivated by uh, the beauty and wonder of Christ and his, his atoning work, um, we are, we're inclined to submit to his authority rather than to our authority. So what that means is um, if I have a fault against someone and I know that in my heart, then I'm not operating under Christ's lordship if I go denying that. If um, I have postponed an apology that I should have made, um, I'm ignoring uh, Christ that I say is my Lord. And so where I'm always starting is with Jesus. That's why the book is Christ-centered, uh, Conflict Resolution. Uh, and so I, I would just ask probing questions at that point. You know, why, why, why would one want to avoid? Why would, why would one want to attack? What are the, what are the idols? What are the, what are, what are the issues that, that may be there? Um, I think I would encourage everybody, you know, to, to make prayer and, and the other means of grace, um, you know, uh, a regular pattern in our lives to have good liturgies, to good, good rhythms that cultivate, uh, you know, a warmth and a gentleness um, that, that's needed to be peacemakers. Um, I think, uh, you know, Ken Sandy says that uh, peacemakers breathe grace. Um, and I think we, we are gracious and gentle when we have meditated much on, on the good news. Um, you know, the, the gentle person can uh, work things out. That gentle doesn't mean avoiding. Um, it means there's a certain warmth and rest when you're with that person. Uh, you, can, you can talk uh, openly. Um, so I, I think um, I would just, again, prioritize the relational component of our faith. Um, I think it's, uh, not to overgeneralize, but I think we probably have some Christians that most of their life is about relationships and community and relationships. Uh, part of this is where you live culturally, I think, and globally, um, but they don't think doctrinally well enough. And then we probably have another group that is in a more individualized culture where they think very cerebrally and individually. And so they don't prioritize relationships. So I think it's, it really is a love God and neighbor that we're after, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, a doctrine affirmed and a doctrine embodied faith. Um, so I think a good self-awareness uh, is really important to know kind of, do we attack or do we avoid? Mm -hmm. Why is that? What can I do to cultivate a heart that would, would seek to be, bring about peace? Yeah, it, it's it's tough for me too because like on social media, you know, I'll, I'll see, especially in the light of the pandemic, see a lot of misinformation, a lot of conspiracy theories that, you know, sort of, you know, make me want to jump in and like say something, address it. And I think um, 
largely because of that kind of concern for neighbor, because I do think there's a lot of things, you know, being spread on social media that is uh, damaging and harmful. And so I want to address it, but then I know if I do, there's going to be conflict, right? And uh, so it just ends up sort of making me sit on my hands often in those sorts of situations. And, you know, similarly with a lot of the social media, um, dynamics with what was going on in the aftermath of George Floyd, where you had a lot of people who were, you know, saying, well, I don't like, you know, the slogan black lives matter because, you know, all lives matter or, or whatever. And, you know, wanting to try and provide some sort of a corrective, but, you know, feeling like, well, if I do, it's just going to blow up and it's going to get nasty, largely because of the depersonalized nature of social media, you know? Um, And then of course, this is only going to get worse as we get closer to November. And uh, (laughs) yeah, just, just knowing how to navigate, navigate it well, it's easier to say like in my mind as a seven, well, there will be peace if the conflict doesn't ever emerge, right? So peacemaking obviously implies that conflict is, is being resolved. But what if we just never get to the conflict in the first place, you know? And it's it's hard because um, I, I feel that challenge every time I open up Facebook. Uh, and so it's, it's easier to just sort of ignore it, you know? It's sort of this posture of uh, it's just better to ignore it because am I really going to change their mind? Is this really going to make a difference, you know? And I'm and just going to feel worse in the end, you know. <laughs> I feel you. Uh, in fact, the publisher came to me after vacation and said, hey, will you start tweeting about the book? And I went on vacation, got off social media, and I liked it so much I wasn't on it. And uh, they said, hey, just maybe two or three tweets a week. Just yeah. keep in front of people. So I said, okay, I think I can do that. And they, they said right now people are either angry and just being muted by people mm. or are off of it altogether. Mm-hmm. Be- it's an, it's an attack or a void uh, right now. And I just don't think we're going to resolve a whole lot uh, through social media. Um, as a pastor, I'll just speak to this. P- one of the places where we are currently trying to resolve conflicts uh, that's not in homes and uh, is, is in small groups where small group members say certain things on social media that they don't say in their small group. And, the small group reads these uh, things that offend them and they're like, why, why don't you ever talk like that? You know, when we're together uh, as a group. And so a lot of conflicts are obviously coming from this world in which we live of people spouting out opinions. And it's, it's kind of like, we've got people that are, man, I like you, but I don't like social media, you. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, so now that's a whole other layer of pastoral care that we just didn't have 50 years ago that we're, we're wrestling with now. Tony, I'm wondering if you could share with us a bit about how we should envision forgiveness um, within interpersonal relationships, but even maybe as we're interacting in our small groups and even on social media with others. But can you cast a vision for us for what does forgiveness look like and how how should we be pursuing it? And what does it mean to forgive? And what does it mean to experience forgiveness? I, my favorite scene in Hamilton, um, or my favorite song is the Uptown song, um, where Alexander and Eliza reconcile and, and she forgives him and he, he repents and she forgives. And there's a line in there that it's um, something like some things are too powerful to name. Um, there's a grace 
oh, now I'm forgetting it. <laughs> um, there's a grace too powerful to name or something like that. And, and they call it forgiveness, the unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can't even put words on it. You just, when you experience it, there's, there, you've truly witnessed a miracle. Um, so I'm wondering what you say about forgiveness in your book and if you can kind of cast a vision for us of what that looks like. Well, I don't want to give the cliche answer, but I, I, I really think where I start at least with forgiveness is thinking about um, that forgiveness that's too great to explain that we've received um, from our God. Uh, you know, in First uh, Peter 4, um, Peter says that love covers a multitude of sins. Um, and you, you think about how, how our Savior has forgiven uh, a multitude of sins. Um, I love Psalm 103, where the psalmist says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Um, and that, that is the, the God we're called to reflect, is, is a God. Again, we're not sweeping sin under the rug. We're not avoiding conflict. But as we've worked through a process of restoration, if a process is needed, uh, we bury it. We, we cover it. Um, and we don't harbor bitterness. Um, if we are to Colossians three, forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. You think about like, how has he forgiven us? <laughs> uh, he's forgiven us gladly. Like he, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't forgive us reluctantly. Like he, he loves forgiving sins. Uh, he's forgiven us fully. Uh, and he's uh, forgiven us finally. Right. And he's, he's not bringing it back up. So I think that gospel motivation is just desperately needed in our hearts every day. Um, when Peter asked about forgiveness, he, he thought he was being generous when he said, maybe I should forgive a guy seven times. What about that? <laughs> and Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Um, and so it's the lavish forgiveness of Jesus that uh, is our motive and our pattern uh, for the forgiveness uh, of others. And, um, yeah, we, we definitely need the Spirit's work in our lives to do this because in our own flesh and power, we, we want to harbor bitterness. We want to return evil for evil um, rather than returning uh, evil with good. Uh, and uh, that's, that's uh, what believers have, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we, we pray for God to grant us power every day to, to live out that, uh, that vision of forgiveness in a world that needs to see it and people who need to have it. Just one one more anecdote or thought is I've just learned, especially as a pastor, how important it is to learn to say, uh, I'm sorry, and to say it a lot. Um, or I could have done that better, um, especially in conflicts. Um, I think when you take a posture of um, admitting your own wrongdoing, it's amazing how the other side um, their heart gets moved as well. Um, But if you go in defensive and you go in argumentative, you don't normally reach that kind of solution. Um, And I do forget, I do make a lot of mistakes (laughs) and I do need to ask for forgiveness a lot. Uh, I apologize is something that uh, I think leaders need to learn how to say more and more and more. And if you have a leader who never apologizes and never admits any wrongdoing, then I'm suspicious and I think that's why, um, you know, in the current uh, political landscape, a lot of us um, 
are frustrated. And when you watch the media, a lot of us are frustrated um, because it's, it's a one side or the other. And, and, and they're both, you know, exactly right. Like there's never a human admission of we could have done that uh, better. Uh, we, we should have done that better. We should have made that decision. So I, I just think uh, when we're talking about relationships and peacemaking, uh, learning to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I apologize. I could have done that better. It's amazing what that can do in relationships. Yeah. And conflicts are just inevitable in 2020 and will only be perpetuated as we move closer uh, to November and further along in the year. And so I think that's a great final word for us to to think about the importance of forgiveness and and, and the, having the ability to ask for forgiveness as well. I think we're going to need heaps and heaps of that this year. So thanks so much, Tony, for, for joining us. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much, Tony. Yeah, thank you, Tony. like more engagement of theology culture and discipleship from the two cities you can find us on facebook instagram or visit us at our website at the if you like the content that we put out here on the two cities podcast please rate and review us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts